Good morning, everyone. Thank you very much, Hannah and Emma, Bruce, Ryan, Trevor, and for those running the the slides behind the scenes. Thanks just for helping focus our thoughts on the goodness and love of our Lord and our response back and our position in him. This morning, we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapters 60, 61, and 62, which talk about the future glory of Zion or Jerusalem, the Lord's plans for the nations. If you're not sure where you can find these in your Bibles, in the, the brown Bibles in the seats, it's found on page 1155. Last week, Ted noted there's three choices in each of chapters 57, 58, and 59. He said, Said for chapter 57, and I hope I got this right, Ted, we have a choice between rebellion or refuge, between ritual and relationship, and then in 58, sorry, 59, between separation and salvation. Jesus' mission was to come and to redeem the nation of Israel and to save the other nations of the world. In doing so, he would reveal his grace, his love, his sovereignty over everything. We'll see this morning that God's going to restore Zion, the nation that was looked down upon, but will no longer be looked down on. It won't be despised anymore, but it's going to be a nation of priests that attract others to it. God shows his love for the nation and he notes his plan of salvation for both the Jewish people and the Gentiles. And we get a glimpse of what it might be like when God's plan is fully implemented. So this morning I'm going to break our passage into six themes or sections. And uh, sometimes I'll be referencing verses that are from various parts of the chapter so I won't just always follow one little section. Um, so that the parts I'm just going to kind of touch on briefly will be the announcement. So what did God say for Zion? The role of the Gentile nations in the new Zion. I'm going to talk about God's messenger, the message, the reason for it. And we'll talk very briefly about the response. We'll touch briefly on the new names that Zion's going to have. And then we'll just summarize So before we get into that, let's just commit our time to prayer, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we do just pause and thank you for your goodness. Just we just marvel at your love and your grace for us. We marvel that the God who created and holds everything, the God who just knows everything, the God who is all powerful, just such an awesome God, loves ones like us, and we just thank you for it. We thank you for your spirit for guiding us and we thank you for your word and we just pray that you would just pray for that you would help me and help us all just to learn more from your word and to just want to follow you more in Jesus name we ask Amen. so our passage starts with Isaiah prophesying about the future glory of Zion or Jerusalem so for those who haven't been with us before or heard uh, Isaiah delivered his message about approximately 700 years before Christ came. 
And God had made a covenant or a contract or a deal with the nation of Israel. He said, if you follow the things that I tell you to do, you'll be blessed. On the other hand, if you don't and you break that covenant with me, then there are going to be some curses, some serious consequences. Now, Isaiah's audience included a mix, I think, of those who were already in exile, uh, some who were already taken away, and some who were on the cusp of being taken away. So it's just to help put that in perspective, who, when and who he's talking to. So what is the first part of the announcement? Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. We also read, I will make you majestic forever, a joy from age to age. The sun shall no more be your light. Sorry, the sun shall no more your light by day. The Lord will be your everlasting light. The Lord will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Then will all your peoples be righteous, and they will possess the land forever. <coughs> wow, what a message! What an honor God was bestowing on the people. And I expect you know, there would be some interesting reactions to this. You know, the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. You don't need the sun. He's going to be your light. What we see as a message of hope and salvation must have been a real head-scratcher for those people. They're living in really challenging and turbulent times. War, or the threat of war, was always around the corner for them. And they weren't the most powerful nation out there. But God's a God of the impossible, isn't he? In the Bible, we read about other people who were commended for their faith when God told them something that seemed impossible by human means. For example, in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, God promised Abraham that he would have, that he would be the father of nations and that his wife Sarah, later to be renamed Sarah, would be the mother. Interesting, except the only fact, problem is, Abraham was 99 and Sarah, Sarah was 90 at the time. The message also tells us what the Gentiles are going to be doing in this. So what is the, the role of the Gentile nations, or at least what I've characterized as the role of the Gentile nations? Verse 3, Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Verse 5, the wealth on the seas will be brought to you. The riches of nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels of Midian and Ephah. All from Sheba will come bearing gold and incense, proclaiming the praise of the Lord. All Kedar's flocks will be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth will serve you. They will be accepted as offerings on my altar, and I will adorn my glorious temple. Continues. Verse 9, Surely the islands look to me, and in the lead are the ships of Tarshish, bringing your sons from afar with their silver and gold to honor the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel. For he has endowed you with splendor. Foreigners will rebuild your walls, and their kings will serve you. Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night. 
their kings will be led, sorry, so that men may bring you the wealth of the nations, their kings led in triumphal procession. The sons of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow at your feet and call you the city of the Lord, Zion, the Holy One of Israel. This is a complete 180 from what they're experiencing. Remember, those nations despised Israel. A lot of them were looking to take them over. And now, those people who previously thought to break down walls will be helping to rebuild the walls. Their nation will help serve and honor God. Sorry, their wealth will help. That wealth is going to help build up the cities, fortify Jerusalem, and also will be used for the people. Kings will be ones led in triumphal procession. And I think what that might reference is just after war, there's a victory parade and the spoils of war, including the people, would be paraded around. And I think that might be a reference to that. Isaiah is telling them that the Gentiles, those who once oppressed Israel, who opposed Israel, there's going to be a 180. They're going to be the ones who are in turn serving them and their wealth will provide for Israel's needs. So earlier I just mentioned something that seemed impossible for Abraham and Sarah. And they both laughed when God said they'd have innumerable descendants, when they would be the parents of nations. Could you imagine the reaction of the people to Isaiah's message here? And this is just my, my only take on it. Yeah, right. Are you serious? Like, what did you put on your matzah this morning, Isaiah? Like, once they got past that initial shock, they may have warmed up to that idea. You know, hey, this isn't such a bad idea. I, I like this idea of them serving us instead of us serving them and us going back to Zion and Zion being built up. Hmm. So, by the way, and when is this going to happen? When are we going to go home? When will Zion be rebuilt? When will they serve us? And, by the way, just how do you think this is going to come about? So we get the first part of that coming back, if you want to read the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, when the exiles were returned, went back to Jerusalem. But, hmm. Maybe that's the same reaction that you might have had or that you've heard others have when people talk to you about Jesus the first time. Are you serious? Really? Do you really believe that stuff? Hmm. Yeah, okay, well, maybe just not me. You know, God wants every person to do a 180 as well. He wants each of us, sorry, each of us at one time we're enemies of God. We see here in Colossians 1, Paul says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But in his grace and his mercy, he reaches out to each of us. And it's my hope and prayer that he has no enemies here, that everyone puts their trust in the Lord Jesus. That everyone here receives his forgiveness and wants to live for his glory. 
So then we come to God's messenger. And chapter 61 starts off with God providing them with that messenger. I'm going to switch over here and we're going to go over to the to Luke's gospel, chapter 4, for the first couple of verses. And they're almost identical to what you'll see in Isaiah 61, uh, 1 and 2. <coughs> Reading from Luke 4. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went up to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And then he, Jesus, began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So let's look at some of the aspects of this message itself. God sent Jesus to proclaim good news, to free the oppressed. In chapter 59, going back just before our section, we read this. The Redeemer will come to Zion, To those in Jacob who repent of their sins, declares the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you and my words that I put in your mouth will not depart from your mouth or from the mouths of your children or from the mouths of their descendants from this time on and forever, says the Lord. The message comes from God and it's God's spirit that's at work here. It's not something that a mere mortal came up with. It's God's doing. So what is the good news? What part of those messages do we have? Well, we have to bring good news to the poor. Now, some versions use the word meek, afflicted, humble, instead of poor. In Isaiah 29:19, he notes, Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord, the needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The poor refers to those who are in need, those who are being oppressed, taken advantage of, treated poorly by others. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. He came to proclaim liberty to the captives. That certainly should have resonated with the people. It isn't, however, restricted to a physical captivity. People were captives to their own sins as well. They weren't following God's commands and were therefore captives in more ways than one. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. A new era is coming. The people would have known when everyone is released or set free at the year of Jubilee. They were released from slavery. Debts were forgiven. Uh, land was given back. It was all squared up and people got a new start. But the year of Jubilee, however, pales in comparison to the year of the Lord. Now, this message isn't just for the Israelites in Isaiah's time. It's also there for us, isn't it? 
We are among those who are poor in spirit, or perhaps have been, who mourn, are meek. We ourselves have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all done things that are displeasing to God. And Jesus proclaims liberty from the oppression of sin that weighs people down. That holds them back from that relationship with God. When we put our trust in Jesus, we receive his forgiveness and we have that relationship with God. We're released from that captivity so that we can live in a way that is meant to honor and please God. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 6.2, he says, In the time of my, fight, my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We get a new start, just like the Jubilee. We get a new start, a new life, when we accept Jesus into our hearts. So going back to Isaiah 61, this is where Jesus left off in in Luke. He read, To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, and he stopped there. Isaiah 61 continues with, And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Now we see references to the day of vengeance a few times in Isaiah's book. For example, in chapter 34, he speaks about what God has in store for those nations which oppressed his people. In 34.8 we read, For the Lord has a day of vengeance, a year of retribution to uphold Zion's cause. And he also talks about it more in chapter 63. This day of vengeance is going to be a scary one for those oppressors. It'll be a new beginning for those who are oppressed, though. Mourning turns to gladness. Fear turns to praise. Faithlessness turns to commitment. The people will be like oaks of righteousness, people strong in their faith, their love for God, and it brings glory to him. Psalm 1 tells us that blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And continuing on, He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, he prospers. So why did this come about? We're told that the ruins will be rebuilt and the Gentiles will serve the people. In Isaiah 66, sorry, 61.6 we read, And you'll be called priests of the Lord. You'll be named ministers of our God. So many years before this, before Isaiah prophesied, God was speaking to Moses on the mountain. It says, Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called him from the mountain and said, This is what you are saying to the house of Jacob, and what you are telling the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession." Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses goes down and he goes to tell them that. And what we see here 
many, many years later, is the same message where Isaiah is telling them they're going to be those priests, those leaders. And we're seeing that move forward. We see here the shame that they had as the oppressed is going to is turned into a double portion. And so the in the Jewish days, the eldest son would get a double portion of the inheritance. And I think that's what referred to here. The people, the Jewish nation gets a double portion. Those of us who are Gentiles are adopted into God's family. Uh, don't get the double portion, but just to be there, what an honor in itself it is. So what is the reason for all this? If we go back to verse 3, I missed the last part of that verse. It goes on and says, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. Why? That he may be glorified. Just as a tree was used to symbolize the life committed to God, it was on a tree that God's son died so that we can be forgiven and have that relationship with God. God again notes his true nature in verses 8 and 9. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness I will reward them, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. It's verse 8 over to verse 9. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the people. Why? All who see them will acknowledge that they are people the Lord has blessed. Yes, we have a role. Yes, we have that relationship. We want to honor God. And ultimately, it's to help God. people see that God is the one who's done it, that he gets the credit, and ultimately, the glory belongs to him. So what was the, the response that people had here. You know, what you see here in, in Isaiah is this, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Delight, rejoicing, and it comes from within. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and robe, wrapped me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom wears a turban and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. I would guess that everyone here has been to a wedding at one point or another. And when you go in there, just before they go in, you kind of, well, you don't see the bride, or some people see the bride, most of us don't. And what we see is that nervous-looking groom. And my advice to that nervous-looking guy as he prepares is, you know what, eh, don't worry. Everyone's looking at the bride anyway. No one's going to look at you. Like maybe his parents accepted but everyone else focuses on that radiant bride walking in, beautifully dressed. Ever wake up in the morning and just didn't feel like facing the day? Does it help if you force yourself to go take a shower, put on some clean clothes? I know it does for me. You feel better, your mindset changes, and you head out the door with a better attitude, don't you? And this is what happens when we step back and follow the Lord's leading in our lives. 
it's more than just a change of clothing. It's a complete makeover that starts from the inside and works its way out. Our outward appearance reflects what's in our heart. And that change should be seen by others. They should notice a difference because you love Jesus, because I love Jesus. And that change should be reflected in our priorities and our focus in life. It changes how we get through every day in a turbulent world, in a world that just seems upside down sometimes. And not that we don't struggle at times, but ultimately that's the intent, isn't it? The Bible refers to the church being the bride of Christ. In Revelation 19.6, we read it. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud pearls of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and the bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, Right, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. Who's willing to go? Will you, will I be at the wedding supper? If you know Jesus, the answer is yes. In chapter 62 then, moving on, we see a change in Zion. All the promises we read throughout the book of Isaiah are starting to come together now. Restoration, redemption, cleansing, salvation, return to the land, peace, justice, forgiveness, reconciliation with people. Life will be good. No, life will be great. It'll be amazing. All because Zion is back in that right relationship with God. And God's not just going to make them a blessing, but God is thrilled with his people. He looks down on them with love and he just beams at them. And so Isaiah can't but speak out and pray for the people. He again shows how God cares for his people and through them he receives glory. So in 62.2, we read that the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that will be the that the mouth of the Lord will restore. Earlier in chapter 60, we noted Zion was forsaken and hated. And so now we have the switch again. As we go to verse 3. You'll be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or your land desolate, but you'll call Hezbah, which means my delight is in her, and you land Beulah, or married one. In Isaiah 56.10, Israel's leaders are referred to as blind watchmen, without knowledge, only looking out for themselves. And now we read this. I have posted watchmen on your walls, O Jerusalem, that they will never be silent night or day. You call on the Lord, give yourselves no rest, and give him no rest until he establishes Jerusalem. And makes her the praise of the earth. God wants us to talk to him in prayer. 
He wants to hear us. Our desires, our prayers should be in line with his will. In Matthew 6, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he tells them not to babble like the pagans. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. He knows, but he still wants us to ask. He still wants us to communicate with him. Verse 9, this is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we should be looking forward to that time. God, we should be looking forward to the time when Jerusalem is the praise of the earth. Sorry, error on the slide. So the chapter closes out with a sense of urgency. Go out, go out through the gates, prepare a way for the people, build it up, build up the highway, clear away the stones, raise a banner for the people. Look, the daughter, sorry, look, the Lord has proclaimed to the end of the earth. Say to daughter Zion, look, your salvation is coming, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. And they will be called the holy people, the Lord's redeemed, and you will be called for, and you will be called cared for, a city not deserted. So another new name. And this chapter has a sense of urgency, doesn't it? Go out, go out. Prepare. Build, build up. You see the repetition. The Lord's coming. This is what Isaiah is saying. The Lord's coming. Get ready. So salvation is coming and they need to get ready. They need to clear the way and raise a banner. And the banner was there so people can see it and people knew where to go and where to congregate. His reward is with them. Jesus offers us forgiveness of sins and that relationship, that love relationship with God for eternity. And his spirit indwells each one who knows Jesus. And we're going to be changed from the inside out. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7-10, Paul notes that we walk by faith, not by sight, yet we're confident and satisfied to be out of the body and at home with the Lord. Therefore, whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. For we must all before sorry, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. In this context, the judgment is referred to here as what the believer does for Jesus in his or her life. Our works provide evidence of our faith and determine what reward awaits us in heaven. So just to, to pull it all together, our passage started with the announcement that God will restore Zion. The city would be rebuilt. The people would return. Not only that, but that current situation was going to be flipped around. The Gentile nations would build building materials. They'll provide the labor. And their riches would support the restoration of Zion and the people in it. The people would be righteous and bring glory to the Lord. He considered God's messenger, Jesus, and touched on his message of salvation for all the nations. Jesus fulfilled the prophecy in Isaiah. 
He is the Messiah they are looking for. He's the one who took the sin of the world upon himself when he went to that cross. His mission was and is to redeem the nation of Israel and to save other nations of the world, revealing his grace, his love, and his sovereignty over everything. God's gift of salvation is freely offered to all of us. Earlier we noted, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We may have plans for this afternoon, later this week, this month, but none of us really knows what's going to happen today, don't we? None of us really knows how much time we have left on this earth. So that offer of salvation is in reality a time-limited offer. We just don't know when it's going to expire or when we're not going to be able to accept that again. God uses people and circumstances to draw attention to himself, to bring him glory. The reaction in Isaiah's time was one of great delight. Sorry. The reaction for some was one of great delight. But we should also rejoice at the name of Jesus. And we should live with the goal of honoring him in all we say and think we do. So in closing, the reminder for me, for you, is to watch, to get ready, prepare for that day. We don't know when it's coming. So we want to be looking towards the future. However, we want to be enjoying and sharing the countless blessings. Take some time, just try and start to count all the blessings that we've been given. The countless blessings that God has been bestowed on us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Wow, what can we say? We're so blessed and so honored that the true God of the universe, the amazing one that you are, the holy one you are, revealed yourself to us and loved us so much that you sent your son. What an amazing thing. Lord, we do pray that nobody leaves here without Jesus. We pray that you would just help us all, Father, just to live our lives in a way to honor you that we can look forward to that day when everything is consummated, that everything is brought together. And in the meantime, Father, help us just to, to live and just to realize how much you've blessed us, what you've given us, and to live in the power of your Spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.